Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugar cane, Three Roll is cane to glass. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge time. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. For more than 20 years now, we've been hearing about how Louisiana is losing a football field of coastline every 30 minutes or so. And while a lot of progress has been made to address that very frightening problem, climate change has continued to make the situation more dire as temperatures rise and storms become more frequent and intense. What is the status of Louisiana's efforts to protect and rebuild its coastline? Where are we in the battle against Mother Nature? And what kind of opportunities does the need for sustainable solutions create for local entrepreneurs? With me today to discuss this is Chip Klein, Executive Assistant to the Governor for Coastal Affairs and Board Chairman of the Louisiana Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority, the state agency in charge of saving the Louisiana coastline from eroding away into the Gulf of Mexico, which is no small task. In 2023, the CPRA will oversee some $1.35 billion in coastal projects, the largest amount ever in the more than decade-long history of the state's coastal program. Those projects include things like sediment diversions, rebuilding marshland, constructing flood protection structures, and water management. Chip has served as chair of the CPRA board since 2018, where he's overseen policy initiatives. And he also manages the day-to-day -day operations of the governor's Office of Coastal Activities, which means he's responsible for integrating the functions of all state agencies as they relate to coastal protection. He's also been integral in advancing the objectives of the state's coastal master plan in Louisiana and Washington, which means he has to be very well versed not only on technical and engineering topics, but comfortable navigating the often choppy political waters of Baton Rouge and Washington, D.C. Chip is a native of Louisiana and a graduate of LSU. Chip, it's great to have you here today. Well, thank Thanks you. for joining us. Thank you for having me. Joining me and Chip is Cody Guillory, president of Sustainable Design Solutions, a civil engineering firm based in Baton Rouge that specializes in water treatment plant design, wastewater treatment systems, water quality, coastal restoration permitting, marsh creation design, and shoreline protection design. It's a booming field to be in these days in South Louisiana, and Cody is one of the area's leading experts. She spent nearly seven years on the staff of the CPRA as an engineering supervisor, where she designed and implemented many of the agency's projects before going out on her own in 2019. She also is a native of Louisiana with bachelor's and master's degrees in engineering from LSU. Cody, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks, Thanks for joining for me. me. Thank you. Well, Chip, just tell us. I mean, we'll just start with the big elephant in the room. Is it too late? I mean, can we still save Louisiana's coastline? So I think it's important for people, Stephanie, to, to recognize that we're never going to have the coast that we had in the 1930s, the 1940s, 50s, 60s, or maybe even the 1970s. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the projections of sea level rise, the rates of subsidence, the rates of saltwater intrusion, the overall rate of land loss, land loss is going to outpace our ability to build enough land to quote unquote save our coast. However, what we consistently say at CPRA is that we can have a coast if we fully implement the master plan and all the projects that are called within that protects the overwhelming majority of people that live in South Louisiana. We can create over 800 square miles of new land uh, and preserve our working coast in Louisiana. I think our coast is a little bit different than the coasts of Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. We don't have white sandy beaches in, in mm-hmm. South Louisiana. Uh, some may argue that you do in Grand Isle, but you know this is a working coast. If you look at our, our port infrastructure, our oil and gas exploration, and so all of those things are important. Uh, and so when people say save our coast, it's people think, oh, well, you're just going to stop the land loss. Right. You're always going to have a master plan. You're always going to have a long term vision for the sustainability of South Louisiana that takes into account all of those things. Protecting people from floods, rebuilding as much land as fast as we can, but also preserving our unique cultural heritage and working coast. I have so many follow up questions. I want to bring Cody into the conversation, though, but I want to clarify real quick. You said you mentioned 800 square miles of coastline. Is that what the overall goal of the master plan is or is that per year? Is that over 50 years or 25? That's over. That's over 50 years. 50 years. At the current rate of land loss, we still can rebuild 800 square miles. That is correct. And I would just add, if you listen to what Governor Edwards said in his second inaugural address, The projects that we will break ground on over the next four years, we will actually build more land in South Louisiana than we expect to lose. That's the first time we can say that since the 1930s. And Um, those are fully funded projects. Those are fully funded projects. But if you look at over the 50-year horizon, the planning horizon that's called for in the master plan, you're still at a net loss. But the opportunity that is in front of us over the next several years is um, one that we plan to take full advantage of. Cody... You worked on many of these projects or some of these projects. What was your specialty as an engineering supervisor at the CPRA, and how has that translated into your, into your own firm now? So, yes, when I was at um, CPRA, I was an engineering supervisor, so I was responsible for some of the staff-level engineers' design and implementation of marsh creation projects and shoreline protection projects. Um, one of the key projects, though, that I was a part of when I was there was the Mid-Barrieteria Sediment Diversion Project, which is a cornerstone project for CPRA and a very important project in, in saving that Barrieteria Basin. And so um, my day-to-day role was to design marsh creation projects and, and work with other engineering firms in delivering the Mid-Barrieteria Sediment Diversion design as well. Wow. And that's a really exciting project. We'll talk about it a little more in a minute. But um, what made you decide to go out on your own and start Sustainable Design Solutions? Um, it's kind of always been a dream of mine, mm-hmm. um, and I've worked. Um, I, I graduated in 2007 with my master's, and I initially went out on my own and did, um, initially worked for a private firm um, mm-hmm. doing water, wastewater. I've always kind of been in that water realm. Um, and while I was at that private firm, I actually was a consultant working for CPRA. Okay. Um, and around that time, like, 
coastal projects really was, weren't that popular. You know, this mm -hmm. is not something that's been around as long as roadway projects, you right. know, and a lot of the other infrastructure projects. And so um, I had the opportunity to work on more of a shoreline protection project and CPRA had an opening and I took advantage of that. I wanted to be more involved with yeah. saving the coast. And so um, went out and, and, and worked for CPRA and then, um, you know, got all this experience there and worked with some of the most, um, you know, um, some key experts in the field and, and learned so much about how you really design and implement coastal projects. And I felt like I had all the tools in my tool belt now, water and sewer, coastal, to really be able to go out on my own. And, yeah. and now I have, you know, staff level engineers that work for me and I'm teaching them about coastal projects. It's, it's very rewarding for sure. That is so fantastic. And to be a woman too, I think in the engineering field, gives you certain advantages. I mean, I think it's it's a, it's a real niche, you know, because there aren't as many women in engineering today, and I know there's a need and a push to get more. Yes, there there isn't. And I um, any opportunities that I have to reach out to some of the, the young ladies um, that are in the STEM field, um, I went to an all-girls school here in Baton Rouge. I try to go back for career days to let them know just the opportunities that exist in the yeah. STEM fields, such as engineering. Um, I'm always one that wants to kind of expose them to that. I will say, you know, I've seen a lot of, of growth, though. Um, when I graduated in engineering, it wasn't a, a significant amount of engineers. But um, being on the other side now, as a private um, business owner, I'm seeing a lot more applicant, applicants and people coming to me looking for jobs. So it's very encouraging knowing that a lot more women are getting into engineering now. Yeah, fantastic. So you worked on, on Mid-Barataria, and, and Chip, I know you mentioned that just now. So if, can you sort of break down for us the different types of, of projects? Because there's the mega projects like the sediment diversion, then you have marsh restoration and creation, and then, then like building flood control structures, and that's all under y'all, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. So at CPRA, the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, Hurricane Protection, and coastal restoration are one and the same. So when we're talking about hurricane protection, you're, all, you're talking about uh, the, the flood systems or the levee systems around the greater New Orleans area, around the river parishes. There's a lot of work in Terrebonne and Lafouche. So these massive pump stations, surge barriers, floodgates, things that are literally keeping water out of people's homes. But, you know, too many people in South Louisiana don't recognize the importance that our coastal wetlands play and actually providing a storm buffer. And so for every two miles of wetlands that exist on the ground today, storm surge can be knocked down by one foot. So the natural buffer is protecting, helping protect the systems that are protecting us. So when we're talking about restoring our coast, coastal restoration, we're talking about dredging and pumping sediment where you're creating new barrier islands or existing restoring uh, the existing barrier islands that have deteriorated rapidly over the last several decades uh, that usually consists of taking sediment offshore uh, in the gulf of mexico certain areas and pumping that further inland or you're dredging sediment from the Atchafalaya or the Mississippi rivers and pumping that into our internal marshes. Just deep from under the ground or like the river that, bed? That is correct, from, from, from the bottom. and silt. From the river bottom, yes. And it goes through long, long, long pipes? Si long pipes, and there's usually different booster um, stations that help transport, um, you know, assist in the overall velocity of the, f of the flow to make sure that we're getting that, that sediment and that water. Uh, out into the into the marshes 
But as, as Cody just mentioned, the, the cornerstone project in the restoration portfolio of CPRE is the Mid-Barrett Area Sediment Diversion. Our land loss crisis started in the state of Louisiana when the Mississippi River was levied, and that was after the flood of 1927. So that's when you started seeing when that sediment and that fresh water was severed that literally built the land we stand on today over thousands of years, that's when our land started to disappear. And so the diversion project, the Mid-Barrettary Sediment Diversion, is on the west bank of the Mississippi River, and it's designed to mimic the natural process that built the state to begin with. And so it reconnects the river um, to our coastal marshes in the Barrettaria Basin, which has some of the highest rates of land loss anywhere in the world, but also was ground zero for the BP oil spill. And so reconnecting the river, reintroducing that sediment supply, uh, and that fresh water is not only going to create tens of thousands of acres of new land, but you're also going to help sustain the existing land that's in place today. And then you're also going to be helping sustain the land that we're building through some of our other project delivery mechanisms like dredging, ridge restoration, and things of that nature. That's once it gets started and completed. It hadn't even gotten started yet because we're still waiting on permits from the Army Corps of Engineers, That right? is correct. So the Corps of Engineers is the lead regulatory agency on the project. We're hoping for a record of decision mm -hmm. and a permit, fingers crossed, uh, sometime in December of this wow. year. And so once we get that permit, we hope to be under construction sometime in 2023, hopefully in the spring months. We'll see. Uh, and then you're looking at about a four to five year construction timeline. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Chip Klein of the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority and Cody Guillory of Sustainable Design Solutions. And Cody, you mentioned, you know, that you worked on that, but you also do something that's tangentially related, but really different, wastewater treatment. And, and is that a big part of what your firm does or what is y'all's primary area of specialty? Yes, yeah, so um, we are uh, like a full-service environmental and civil consulting firm. So we we're pretty much problem solvers for clients. Um, okay. We do a lot of the water, wastewater, and stormwater work for municipalities. Mm -hmm. um, so when they have problems with you know capacity issues or maintenance issues, um, or even just like program management and project management for them, um, we we fix their problems pretty much. Um, the problems range in. Um, different types of issues that we tackle each day. Um, so we live we live in a really big water space. We're trying to branch out right now and to do more roadway work. Um, as you know, the Move BR pro program here is a very um, you know important project and program for the city of Baton Rouge. And so we are doing a little bit of that work, but we do live in a, a good bit of, of water and wastewater space. And with the infrastructure bill that, that that's happened, as well as ARPA or ARPA or ARP funds, mm -hmm. everyone calls it something different. <laughs> right. um, that's been a funding mechanism that um, a lot of municipalities are taking advantage of yeah. to where they can now implement infrastructure projects that's been neglected for so many years, or as I like to say, there's been deferred maintenance on them. Because the reality is, stormwater, sewer, water, it's all underground. Nobody mm -hmm. sees it, right? You see a road, you're riding on it every day. That's yeah. going to get addressed usually a little bit more than what things are that are buried, right? People don't really care about it until it's backed up in your house. Nobody cares about the sewer until one day you wake up and it's coming out of your toilet right. or something <laughs> like that. So 
um, it's been a really a, a good thing for a lot of municipalities, some of these funding mechanisms to really be able to fix a lot of the infrastructure that they haven't had money to mm -hmm. do, um, haven't had money to fix it for so many years. Are, mo are more of your clients like private businesses or do you have public contracts as well? Most of our clients are municipal or public. Wow. Um, we do a good bit of city work and state work. Um, we have a couple of private clients, but we really focus a lot more on municipalities. And I know that can get political. I mean, it's... <laughs> yes. I never realized <laughs> Everything can get political, when right? the yes. world of procurement cracked open for me when I was a business right. writer, I was like, right. oh, wait, now I understand how things work. Cody said something earlier that I think is just really, really important. Uh, and it really highlights the point in time where we are in the coastal program. She said when she first started, you know, coastal projects really weren't that popular. Right. Nobody, everyone was still kind of getting their head around exactly how we were going to approach hurricane protection and coastal restoration. You know, we did have a master plan, but we, we really didn't have, you know, the political will, the, the expertise in-house and in the private sector that, that we do now. But, but if you look at the work that is called for this year in coastal Louisiana on coastal restoration, hurricane protection, you mentioned in your opening comments, Stephanie, one3 billion dollars going out of the door that is 7,600 direct jobs in South Louisiana you're starting to see universities um, form degree programs you have a, a daughter that is studying um, environmental policy and so you're starting to see careers that are being formed because of the work that's being done on risk reduction hurricane protection and coastal restoration and so just the amount of people that are coming to Louisiana, that are coming to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to learn about how we approach this issue, uh, how we developed our master plan, how we're structured as a state government, is just really refreshing to see. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that Louisiana is leading from the front when it comes to this issue. Um, and so being able to export this information, this expertise to other parts of the country where you have New York, North Carolina, Rhode Island, Virginia coming here. That, I think that's a great story to tell. But I'm not just talking about this strictly in through government lens. We need Cody and the private sector to be successful that, so that we can mm -hmm. be successful. They're just as much experts in this field as, as we are. And so just the overall level of collaboration when it comes to this issue, I think it's great for the state as a whole. And and the one point three five billion, because that, that is what I wanted to ask you about, mm -hmm. that, is that mostly federal money? That is mostly from the BP oil spill settlement. Still, okay. Um, so and that has funded much of our coastal program over the past correct. decade. So right? close to six billion dollars will be coming to excuse me, close to seven billion dollars will be coming to the state over the next. Um, the, the payout is over fifteen years, so BP funds dry up in twenty thirty two. Um, a, the, the second probably largest portion of our revenue is from oil and gas production, either in federal waters or on state land, state water bottoms. But probably 80, probably 78 to 80 percent of our funding comes from BP oil spill settlement. And once that BP money is gone, in now it'll be a decade, we will continue to have coastal mm -hmm. work that needs to be done. Right. So, so once you lose the, the BP oil spill settlement, you are essentially reverting back to a program that relies on strictly oil and gas revenue. Mm -hmm. Federal oil and gas revenue is about 70 to $80 million a year. State um, oil and gas revenue is anywhere from 15 to $25 million. So when you're talking just over a little $100 million of recurring revenue, when you have a $50 billion problem, 
<laughs> we call that the coastal fiscal cliff. Yes. And so that's why we spend so much time in Washington pushing for increased revenues from oil and gas production, looking at other funding opportunities. Cody mentioned the, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is going to be billions of dollars that are coming to your traditional types of infrastructure, roads, bridges. But also there are tremendous opportunities for flood protection projects, coastal restoration projects that are included in that federal legislation. So we're doing everything we can looking at our financial horizon to make sure that that loss in revenue is made up somehow in some way. And we have about 10 years to figure it out, or a little bit less. Cody, do y'all bid on coastal projects, like some of the CPR projects, or just certain types of them, maybe? Yeah, so we, um, it's a little bit different in the engineering world. We don't really bid. Usually, Mm -hmm. you're you're selected based off of qualifications instead of price. So we do submit our quals, right? for selection on different projects. And we are doing some project work. We're working on a barrier island currently for CPRA. So we're super excited to still be involved and um, still be involved in things that were near and dear to my heart when I was there. And so tell me like what, in, what is involved in, in rebuilding a barrier island? I mean, y'all design how to rebuild it? Is it? Yeah, so you, you collect data. So you understand, I guess, what the bathymetry and topography is of the area. You understand what your infrastructure is there. As um, Chip mentioned, we have a working coast. So you're going to have pipelines and oil and gas infrastructure running throughout the area. So you have to avoid them and provide design um, you know, requirements uh, to work around those pieces of infrastructure. The key is also providing the sediment that you need, right? Um, so we do bar area analysis where we research different areas that we can collect mm-hmm. different sediment that we need to be able to rebuild those barrier islands. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Interesting. Uh, y'all both mentioned the term working coast a lot, and I do think that's an important, really important point. But what does a working coast look like? I mean, is it strictly just little islands or like Port Fouchon floating ports and pipelines and oil and gas stuff with really no no commercial residential retail, you know, to speak of on dry land, but more just sort of... Or is that what working coast means and where people can still fish and, and mine for oil and gas? First of all, I think when people think about South Louisiana, they think about marsh and wetlands and fishing. They think about the sportsman's paradise. But one of the things that I don't want to say it frustrates me, but if, if you actually do a deep dive into what South Louisiana does for this entire country, it is, it is telling. I mean, so you think 18 to 20 percent of the nation's oil and gas mm-hmm. comes from you know, the Gulf of Mexico that is serviced out of uh, Port Fouchon. 90% of that oil and gas is serviced from Port Fouchon. 70% of that oil and gas is actually transported through refineries in South Louisiana. It is the largest port complex in the world. Mm-hmm. Five of the top 15 largest ports based upon tonnage in the country are located in South Louisiana. Our commercial, our recreational fisheries uh, are ranked one to two nationally, depending on what you know what year you're looking at. Just look out of the window and look at the commerce that flows up and down the Mississippi River. So when we're talking about coastal Louisiana, you're not just talking about the shoreline. You're talking about 20 coastal parishes in South Louisiana. So it's, it can be argued that South Louisiana feeds and fuels large portions of this country. Um, I forget the actual statistic here, Stephanie, but if LA1 Highway 1 is closed. It's like a multi-billion dollar impact to the nation's 
GDP per hour mm -hmm. because you don't have access to all of that infrastructure, all of the pipelines, all of the refineries that exist across South Louisiana. So I think it's when we, when I, we talk about working coast, yes, it's ports, it's oil and gas, it's the service industry for all of these important economic assets. Think about the strategic petroleum reserves that are housed yeah. in, in South Louisiana. I mean, it's these are critical economic assets that and all of these things create job opportunities for the people that live and work in South Louisiana. So I'm not, yes, there are retail shops and strip malls and things in South Louisiana, but this is, this is a part of the country that truly matters, um, that is providing a lot of economic vitality to the country as a whole. Right. And just to reiterate what Chip said, I think people need to realize is that the working coast, like he said, is not just providing things for the state of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. You know, it provides so much for the entire country. Um, and so that's why it's just so important. Um, and coastal restoration down there is so important because it's not just South Louisiana. It's not just um, the people who live around that area. There's so much that impacts other areas in the in the whole entire country. And and do y'all think they recognize that in Washington, D.C.? I mean, I, certainly the general public doesn't, but I mean, when you're up there lobbying, Chip, or when, you know, in the conferences and stuff that you go to, Cody, I mean... I think when you get up there and, and you, you say those types of things, it, it, it falls on deaf ears sometimes, and that's why we spend so much time, time on getting members of Congress and members of the Biden administration, and this goes back to the Trump administration, the Obama administration, and, and the Bush administration, on getting people down here to see for themselves. When you talk about Port Fouchon servicing 90% of the deep water oil and gas produced in the Gulf of Mexico, that's a, that's a talking point. But if you actually get on the ground and see it for yourself, you're like, wow, mm -hmm. this, this, this infrastructure is expansive, it's vast, the scope and scale, I think, speaks for itself. And so... We, we try to do that probably every three months is to get members from, from Congress or presidential administration officials down here to, to kind of tour some of the things we're talking about. That's great. Well, Chip Klein and Cody Guillory, you both are doing such important work saving Louisiana's coastline and coming up with ways to rebuild our marshland and protect us from the ever-encroaching waters of the Gulf. Thank you all for your hard work and for sharing your stories and insights today with me on Out to Lunch. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Thank you for having us. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Chip Klein of the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority and Cody Guillory of Sustainable Design Solutions. We had to edit this show to fit into our time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited conversations and learn more about the CPRA and Sustainable Design Solutions by going to our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otts, and you can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. 
Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansour's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.